Hello, I'm Brett Bradigan, editor of Ojai Quarterly, Ojai Monthly Magazines. This episode of Ojai Talk of the Town, we reached out to Chelsea Sudala of Zespi Creek Collective to discuss recent news about the cannabis business, how it was affected by the pandemic, its impact on tourism, the new tax on the three cannabis shops in town, many other issues surrounding this new but rather important part of Ojai's economy. We also get to know Chelsea a little better. Thank you for listening. Hello, Chelsea. Hi, Thanks for joining me. Yeah. And looking forward to having this conversation. So first off, um, you know, we're in a pandemic. People are cooped up and isolated. And somehow I wonder if your customers feel like uh, your bud tenders are essential workers. Oh, they definitely do. Um, We hear it. We hear it all the time. And um, we're really grateful to be able to show up in this way for our community and keep everybody calm and sleeping well and dealing with their various aches and pains and all the other reasons they come shop at yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, what is the, uh, you know, what, what, how is the business during a pandemic? And you had to shut down for a few weeks, right? Or a few days before you were able to set up a kind of pickup service. Is that how it worked? Yeah, we actually didn't have to shut down too long. I think we, I have to, recall because this was back in March. I think I think we actually just closed for a day or so while we refigured uh reconfigured our showroom to accommodate more pickup orders and we did we were doing curbside only. So we were our retail showroom was closed, but we were still serving customers through delivery and curbside pickup. And then several weeks later we opened the showroom back up again when we felt comfortable we could manage uh, the flow of people in a safe way. We had enough um, procedures in place to, to deal with all the protocols we needed to deal with. Yeah. So, well, I'm yeah about how the business works because some parts, you know, it's kind of a patchwork, isn't it? Wasn't there some difficulties when it was the medical marijuana for transport? Like that was still illegal. You know, there was like a limited amount of growing that was legal. There was the medical license portion that was legal, but the in-between getting it from one to the other, wasn't there like all kinds of sketchy areas in the law that hadn't been really thought out? Um, well, it, yeah, the, the, the rules have really evolved over the past um, six years uh, or so now. Um Back when it was medical only, everybody needed a recommendation letter from their doctors. Um, yeah, there, were, there weren't really transportation companies set up at the time. People, cultivators would often bring their own harvest to us wherever we were set up at the time. And then we would, we would just deliver it in, in little, the pre, same kind of Prius cars that we drive now. Um, yeah, and yeah. it's been medical marijuana since uh, since nineteen ninety six or yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, just be misremembering, but it's like it's ninety six. Yeah, compassionate coming up, Yeah, coming up on like twenty five years. California mm-hmm. was a trendsetter. Now I think it's like thirty four, thirty. I don't know, thirty, almost forty states have some form of medical marijuana, and like ten mm-hmm. or eleven states that are legal. Yeah. And uh, there was, was the first state, was that what, uh, Washington State? Or Colorado. was it California? It was or Colorado. Col- 
Well, for, for medical use, it was California, but to legalize it, Colorado was the first one. Yeah, I remember being in Aspen while it was just uh, such a novelty to go into us, you know, talk about the proverbial kid in a candy store. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. And then it was just a couple years later. I knew, you know, it was going to get to a point where it was like, you know, prohibition era. You just, it just didn't make sense. Just didn't make no. sense. Yeah, I think we've hit the tipping point for sure. We've crossed that threshold. Yeah, thankfully. I'm curious uh, about the, you know, the, well, how it works as a business. Um, Mm -hmm. I know we were talking earlier about or discussing uh, the tax, the 3% tax that that passed. And that's like, uh, people think, oh, 3%, what's the big deal? But that actually is, you know, comes right off the top, right? That's yeah, it's a business tax. It's not the same as a sales tax. So it's a little bit misleading. Most people don't understand the difference unless you're kind of in retail sales. Um, you just kind of assume a tax is a tax. And so, but 3% sales tax would have been a lot better on us, would have been a lot more clear for consumers, I think. But instead, they chose to put it on as a gross receipts tax. And so that means that we are taxed on top of whatever we want to charge consumers to make up the difference for that, um, we're, we're taxed on that as well. So, in, And whereas, you are collecting the sales tax as well, which is paid by the consumer, but the stores are the collection points. Yes, yeah. We hold that as a liability and pass it on directly to the agency. Um, so we're not taxed on it the same way. So there's just some weird nuances in, the, in that, that difference there. It would have been a lot nicer for us, frankly, to have a sales tax instead of a gross receipts tax. But it's also just not, it's not understood by the voters that if you read the whole ordinance and if you were following the the talks all along when council was getting this on the ballot, um, they wanted the discretion to be able to adjust it up or down um, in case things changed. And so knowing what they know now, I've tried to educate all of them. Um, I've educated the city manager um, their, their projections are really misleading and overly inflated. Um, the projections came from what I'm now told is former city manager, and they made no assumptions that anything would change. Like it was a static projection. They didn't assume anybody was going to say, oh, well, prices have gone up. I'm going to not shop there anymore. They assumed yeah. no increase in competition. They made all these really silly assumptions that, that and oh, they also assumed that there would be two manufacturing uh, entities open and, and drawing revenue by then as well. And those two are, are far from being open and, and earning any revenues. So it, it's just misleading. To, it, I know there's some people in the communities, especially coming from the Ojai Valley News, they've been really um, strong, opinionated proponents of this um, as if it's going to save the city and the city's going to go go broke without it. And it's really just to replenish the reserves. Um, I understand the reserves are depleted from, from COVID, but it's not going to replenish them anytime soon. It's going to do so. I I think at at sort of a serious risk to one of the, the the most COVID um, resistant industries in town right now, you know, Um, we didn't have to shut down the way Ojai Valley Inn did and, and, and the hotels and, and restaurants, yeah. like we have stayed open 
we're doing our best, but it's not, it's, it's not earning us additional income really. Because if you look at the numbers that I've floated around, it's, it's, we're just, you know, September was a net loss for us. I think October we were, we had a slight um, positive income at the end of the month, but four months oh. out of the year, we're losing money. Yeah, it's um, it's tough everywhere, I'll tell you. But now, yeah. huh, when you say we, you are structured as a collective. Am I am I right? Well, so our name still has collective in it, but technically, legally, we are a C corp. We have to, yeah. Um, the, With the officers. Are, yeah. Well, yes, yes. We have. Um, I have investors. I'm I'm the sole director and uh, officer. But I'm a sixty percent majority shareholder. I have I had to have investors um, in order to open up a shop in Ojai after Ventura County Sheriff's Department raided us in 2016. Yeah, that was very strange. What is it? What is the relationship with law enforcement now? Are they chilled out a little bit? Or they still... <laughs> yeah, they're I know, pretty hands uh, off. Jim, Jim Spryhoff, we were we were friendly. I, I joke yeah, he was him. a good guy. He, he was had not a, good a relationship. Yeah. He was um, not a proponent of uh, medical or not even anything. It was just no, anti-drug. He was, but he was very respectful that it was the voters' decision and that he was going yeah. um, to, you know, Abide. do his job. Yes, and um, um, I haven't had the chance to meet Captain Rivera in person, but um, it's been pretty hands off. Like they, they don't, they, they're there when we need them. You know, I feel like they're there to protect us if we need them. That's. That's the relationship we should have. But um, no, they haven't been um, um, interfering or causing us any trouble, I would say. And any other agencies out there that are that are poking and prying or, you know? No, you know, the, the there's a lot of change right now at the state level. The Bureau uh, of Cannabis Control is going to be merged with the the agency that's controlling the manufacturing and the one that's doing the cultivation side of it, they're all going to oh, be that one, certainly under sense. one umbrella. So they've, they're, they're doing a lot of retooling at the state level, which I think is good, but um, it's been, it's been sort of quiet. You know, we all still hold provisional licenses. We don't actually have an annual license yet. And they're very slowly going through the, the checklists of all of the applications that we submitted, you know, two years ago. Um, saying, oh, do this, do that, fix this, fix that. It's it's, it's really, really long process that they're kind of doing. Sure, and it's they're inventing it on the fly. Yeah, yeah well. seemingly. So it's going to be a, yeah. Now, you say manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really know anything about that. It's, I know you mentioned the facility that was going to be built here. What, uh, what, would, how, how, what does that look like? What is the... What what goes on there? Yeah, so there's different kinds of manufacturing. Um, there's volatile and non-volatile. So um, certain companies choose to use um, volatile compounds um, like butane, for example, to extract cannabis from the plant to make concentrated oil. Um, other companies use non-volatile um, like CO2, um, and uh what about alcohol alcohol is considered uh, volatile extract yeah but it's um but that's another one uh, another solvent that seems used. safer than uh, butane um but i don't really know anything about the chemistry yeah there's controversy everywhere um everybody has their opinions on that so i won't really dip into that fight but um 
they can both be dangerous. They can both be safe. I'll just say that. And and it's good that they're in experts' hands and manufacturing as opposed to, you know, guys' garages. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. And then there's also manufacturers, I mean, infused manufacturing, where you just are basically using like coconut oil or some some other kind of um, base to 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 extract. That's that's uh, it's just an infusion. Yeah. Well, I'm old enough to remember. The brownies, you know, you always had to mix. You could take something that was not a particularly potent product mm-hmm. and get a good extraction with butter that you would then use in your brownies mm-hmm. or your mm-hmm. cookies. And and it was, you know, a very, very different experience between smoking and edibles. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and I, you know, there was... Con- yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to say, we've really seen a, an increase in uh, the edibles category. Um, smoke, it, just people buying raw flour is still our top category, but edibles is really coming up there. More and more people, I think, are turning to edibles and ingesting. Yeah, it seems like you can target a particular need, like if you're, you need uh, a sleep aid, mm-hmm. you know, with a with the indica or you need a wake and bake with a sativa mm-hmm. or however you want to manage your situation. Yeah. Or anything in between, just, something little under your tongue. That's not even like something high calorie. Sublingual. Yeah. Sublingual. We have a lot of people that enjoy those as well. And the drops as well. Mm-hmm. Something for but everybody. What, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a smoker. I just have the asthma They're exacerbates, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but Wow, it's so pretty. I just remember being a, you know, a teenager in the fantasies of what is going on now, and I just wish I could go back and tell my sixteen-year-old self that day's coming. <laughs> You'll get to see it. Yeah, a new, a new dawn. <laughs> yeah, so I'm really happy about that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, uh, what uh, you know, the uh, product manufacturers and all that are you dealing with them all the time people are coming in with new lines of product and and looking you know yes Yes. it's one of one of the best parts and worst parts of my job i would say and um i've started to hand this off to other to other people in my organization to kind of take care of it but i'm i'm still really in charge of vetting new products that we we choose to carry and yeah there's there's companies every day that want to get their products on our shelves and Sometimes I'm interested in in trying them out and giving them a fair a fair shake, and some days I'm I'm just feeling full to the gill already, and we just have plenty, and we don't need any more gummies, you know. Um, yeah. And I feel bad all these all these people that have put so much time and money and and thoughtful consideration into building their products, and I just can't say yes to them. Um, it's it's um it's sad, you know. But um that's that's how it is. That's how I want it. I think too many. Too many choices is difficult for consumers and it's difficult for, for bud tenders. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The paradox of choice, it's uh, it gets stressful. You got to narrow it down to three or four choices in every category for people to just exactly. even be able to wrap their minds around it. Now, the economy of the whole industry fascinates me because there was, and I can't remember the name of it, of course not, of the some big growers or so, not big growers, but big business getting into the, the good guys or no. I for they were like based in Los Angeles and they were trying to, you know, dominate the marketplace. Yeah. Do you know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about? 
Mad Men. That's it. Yeah. Can you tell tell me about well that, how that all I, works? <laughs> all I can tell you is what I read about it, and uh, and and it's it's kind of I it, I, I think it's it's. Uh, echoes probably what's happened in other early dot-com kind of times where you get these hyper-inflated, hyper-valued companies with really showy executive teams um, just snapping up property licenses, expanding like crazy and not really knowing what they're doing or having solid values (laughs) that that will sustain them. Yeah, they're just, well, it goes on. Yeah, in venture capital, that's a very common, mm-hmm. you know, winner take all environment. These VCs are always looking to pump tons of money, even way more money than the founders need, just because they want to crowd out yes, every other to scare them away. Just throw money at every market yeah, you know, until and, they, yeah. Well, it's, it's that's they've not really, going their on. bubble is burst. I know they're, they're, they're not a thing anymore. And frankly, there are several others. Um, not MedMen, but other companies that are that have really um, taken a hit lately. I would say, um, I, I remember early a couple years ago when we were first really diving into the license market and dealing with with the new regulations. We were competing with MedMen for product. Like uh, we, I would source and curate something that I really liked. And place an order for it. You know, they would be selling themselves to me. Please, please carry me in your shop. I said, great, yes, we love you. Let's get you in your shop. In the shop, and then um, I would I would be waiting for the delivery, and it would not come. And and the reason would often be when that happened. Oh, MedMen needed all of it. You know, they took all of it. Yeah, and I'm like, this is bought all their inventory. Do you think they were legitimately doing it or doing I, it to, doing it to drive, drive I mean, the market? They were expanding, but they were sitting on a lot of inventory. They were stockpiling it is what I understand. And, but so it's, it's, but it's the vendors that make those decisions to kind of put all their, their product with one retailer too. It's like, you made that decision. That's on you. Um, yeah. So that happened a couple times, not too many yeah. times, but a couple times. And it really just soured me on the whole that whole chain in particular, but um, yeah, well, there's there's been other brands. The the bigger they are, the harder they fall sometimes. So I'm kind of thankful to just be um, happy with my one license right now. You know, it's it's enough to manage just one on its own. Yeah, sure. Are you are you looking at the manufacturing? Yeah, I definitely side thought about it. Um, we were offered the opportunity to become a micro business and do it all under one roof. We would have to distribute, manufacture. And retail, um, and we have a 3,200 square feet place, which is really nice size for what we do now. But I didn't feel it was big enough to be able to handle distribution and manufacturing on top of it. Um, and I also just didn't—I don't have the manufacturing expertise. I really have to bring somebody else on for that. And so, um, having had enough ex- experience back in the day, you know, 2013, 2014, trying to cultivate our own in-house, just cultivate a couple rooms worth. It's really, really hard to dial it in quickly and uh, cheaply. So I just, I just made the decision. I'm going to keep on keeping on as a retailer, and, and that's my core strength. And I'm going to um, hopefully partner up with with local manufacturers as they come online and have products for us. I'd love to see local brands get into the mix and brand themselves with a little cannabis side side uh, side products. 
Well, I, I like the flourishing of the entrepreneurial <laughs> spirit. I think that is what, you know, why America Absolutely. is what it is. And I love to see so many hopeful people out there making product, designing, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it's opened up a a huge opportunity and a huge industry for all kinds of people that are willing to do the work and and put in put in the sweat equity um, to get there. Yeah. Now, I really don't have any numbers, but my sense is that it's been good for the economy of Ojai. Yeah, it's a draw that I know people from Santa Barbara and further up the coast who come to Ojai to buy product mm-hmm. and comes have lunch and maybe stay overnight and it's part of their vacation Absolutely. plan. Um, Is that it's what not, you're It's saying? not the majority of our business. I mean, the majority of our business is definitely locals from Ojai, Ojai Valley, Ventura. Um, but we do see um, a, a nice, I, don't know, I, I meant to get these numbers together. I want to say 10% from like Santa Barbara area. But that dropped a little bit when their dispensaries opened. But we've we've gotten a lot of feedback that our shops, mine in particular, I'll just yeah. say, um, is better. That we have better selection. Um, the parking is way better, and the prices are way better. And that does draw people, and it's a reason to come. It's like an anchor for their trip. Yes, um, I totally agree. Yeah, yes. I felt that from the start. That was main reason I was in support of it. Now I know a lot of people in the medical field, and they. There was a discussion when it was coming up that we don't really know what the impacts are going to be, how much, you know, underage use, uh, you know, overdosing, that kind of problems. But now we do have, you know, many, many millions of data points. And it didn't seem to be the case. Those worst fears don't seem to have panned out. Yeah, and we actually do have research. That's that's another fallacy that I try to dis- dispel when I can. There's thousands and thousands of years of research. I mean, there's thousands of years of people, of non-toxicity reports, yeah. right? Um, we've known for a really long time that this is a, a plant that people use in ceremonies and and for religious purposes and meditative purposes and stuff, so... Um, yeah, I remember. Uh, why would something that's around for so long be, you know, particularly menacing, killing the children? Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember somewhere a shipwreck off Greece or Italy that was dated to like 300 BC, where they had all these clay mm-hmm. urns full of, mm-hmm. full of product. Yep. I yep. just wonder what what uh, you know how what how because we often don't have good records or knowledge or insight into how people's routines and daily lives were from that era. Uh And we really could be that that was just a part of the background of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because it's a versatile plant. I know um, not to get too lost in the weeds, so to speak, but I love the whole (laughs) William Randolph, her story, which I'm sure you've heard that he Uh was you know, a major pulp consumer. Yes. So yes. marijuana or hemp, because of its cordage, its durable fibers, was a cheaper and much more quickly grown, growing substitute for paper pulp. And uh, he, mm-hmm. yeah. he determined to shut the industry down through a very clever ploy, which was to just make it seem like 
he said, you know, killing our kids and menacing and where he, you know, bullied and blackmailed uh, government agencies. Control of the media. Yeah, he was uh, quite an operator. Yeah, propaganda. Yeah, that's where the whole, uh, you know, Harry J. Onslinger era, who was the Drug Enforcement Administration, like in the 30s, and put out all that wonderfully comic propaganda like reefer madness which i think is just great camp can't be fun yeah Yeah. unfortunately still 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 a little bit alive today what that attitude in people's mentalities yeah yeah i mean anytime there's a facebook thread on it and even in ohio's community there's there's always some person shouting thc is bad for your brain no thc this should be banned you know yeah it's always one of those well <laughs> i don't think they're winning the day it doesn't seem like they have much no. momentum on their side it's kind of <laughs> funny how things change no. so quickly you know i think about medical marijuana in mississippi and south dakota those states, uh-huh. people have relaxed their attitudes tremendously just over the last few years. I remember the like uh, High Times magazine back in the seventies and eighties, and you know their advocacy and normal. Remember normal? Yeah. Which? Uh, oh yeah, I'm still. I'm California normal is still alive. I mean, the normal itself is still alive and well. I'm. I'm a member. What does that so, stand yeah. for? The acronym normal. I, I don't remember. Uh, national. Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Yeah, that's that's good. Well, they they must be patting themselves on the back because they're a lot of worked. They've they've done a lot of work. Yeah, for sure. It's a, a turnout issue too at the polls. I think mm-hmm. if you can get a ballot initiative uh, pro marijuana, it drives a lot of people who might not even bother to vote. Yes. Yeah, low propensity voters. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because they mm-hmm. finally see something on there that they connect to, you know, mm-hmm. literally. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, let's. I'm curious about you. I don't really. We we know each other a little bit around town. And we do business together. Mm-hmm. But uh, how 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 long have you? Well, we're, let's let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? Ah, I kind of grew up all over the place. Um, I spent my formative years mainly in Baltimore and Athens, Georgia, and uh, then moved moved out to school in Chicago, and then went over to Pittsburgh for my first job. And what was what was that? What did your parents do? My parents were in academia for a bit. What, Johns then, Hopkins and is then, that why they're Johns Hopkins? Is that why they were in Baltimore? Yeah, my dad. Yeah, that's uh, my mom was in school. She was um, she was working and in school at the same time. I should say she was studying pharmacy, public health um, at Johns Hopkins, and my dad was doing research at Johns Hopkins. Um, and uh, um, he was he was doing uh, some studies on Olympic. I think it was Olympic boxing, it was like brain damage and oh, like, Olympic uh, boxers and things like that. CTE. Yeah, CT scan, EEG. He did mostly EEG. Well, uh, and, like um, traumatic brain injuries. Uh, I cannot remember the name of the, uh, you know, chronic uh, brain pattern <laughs> injuries that we're seeing yeah. in these yeah. uh, football players, especially because mm-hmm. your skull just, you know, it, your brain kind of just sloshes around when you get hit. And it doesn't really take, for yeah, learning, it doesn't it's take horrible. much to, to cause damage. Yeah. Yeah. So he did, 
he did different kinds of work in those areas. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's what they were doing. Um, and then we moved to Athens, Georgia. My mom got a job at, at uh, University of Georgia teaching. Yeah, I've law. heard that's just a beautiful, I've never been there, but I heard it's a, quite a charming town and it's fun yeah it was a fun great town. live music scene it was a culture shock i gotta say moving from i was considered a yankee you really know? baltimore so, i don't see yeah that. It's well it wasn't really technically yeah. yeah but i was i talked different from everybody yeah. so <laughs> so it was, a, it was a bit of a culture shock but uh yeah it was fun fun town um, but how old were you so, when you lived there in athens georgia i was I spent eighth through twelfth grade in Athens, Georgia. Oh, formative so was, years. Formative years, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, you said you're. And then I, I sprang away to college in, in uh, Chicago. I was or Evanston, technically. I was at Northwestern. Oh wow. Studied uh, first. I was. I was uh, gonna. I started out in engineering, and um, you know, I was really strong in math, and and I uh, just couldn't handle the physics. I. <laughs> Like physics was it's not just my too thing. Abstract, I think. Yeah, I could just give me the equations to solve all day, but I I couldn't I couldn't put put, put the puzzle pieces together like that. And um, so I just had to. Yeah, I kind of figured my way out through college. College was a rough time for me. I ended up majoring in psychology. Yeah. Because um, that felt kind of comfortable and interesting enough, and like it could serve me in a lot of different ways. Oh. Can it ever, especially just being in business and customer relations and dealing mm-hmm. with employees? Yes. There's not any, yes. we're social creatures and there's no, nothing that doesn't yeah. have some psychological basis to it. Yeah. It's very, very yeah. interesting. Yeah. I wonder like with the pandemic, if there's a lot of, especially with, with like kids, I know the school superintendent on an earlier episode was talking about for these young kids that are like in kindergarten not to get too far off track but that Mm -hmm. they uh this is like a fifth of their lives has been this this crisis this situation this this dread and what kind of an impact is that going to have on them you know it's just interesting so yeah to get back to uh well it's in pittsburgh but what did you do that what was your first job yeah, so my first job out of college was a research assistant at the University of Pittsburgh, and uh, it was interesting. Like the I was, family it was business. Longe- <laughs> yeah, it felt like that at the time a little. Um, yeah, because I ended up putting EEG caps on people and um, running them through three-hour-long protocols, trying to elicit different emotions and hmm. and checking various patterns there. Um, it was really interesting at first. I learned a lot, but I really learned that that was not the kind of work I wanted to be doing. It just, it became really monotonous for me. Um, I was kind of just a lab rat, you know, and um, wasn't, I didn't really want to pursue a PhD, which is what most sure. people at that point were going to do doing research like that. So I just decided to start looking at other options um, and uh, ended up moving to Cleveland after that for a short time. Met a guy, and that was seemed like the right thing to do. So, um, <laughs> just that was a. Well, I, I grew up in Buffalo. I know uh, we there's a lot of a rivalry between mm-hmm. Cleveland and Buffalo. Yep. In Buffalo, we call Cleveland yep. the mistake on the lake. Yeah. In Cleveland, <laughs> they call Buffalo the mistake on the lake. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I love the Great Lakes no. area for a lot of reasons. Uh, the winters. No, are not I don't one. miss it no. too much. Um, but they have the they have fun things going yeah. on. There's good markets, all the ethnic markets and stuff. I miss those. Just walking around Pittsburgh and Cleveland had some great. You know, you get all whatever you want. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, even like Ethiopian delis and and uh, you know. Uh, Yugoslavian and city, then Buffalo. And you can just see and then the, the neighborhood changes. It's like a salad more than a yeah. more than a melting pot, you know. And it's just really fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ojai is not really like that. It's uh, Ojai is a little more homogenous than where, what I'm used to. Now, how what uh, how did you get, end, end up here? Um, yeah, so I ended up moving out to California. What was your first um, experience with Ojai? I was living in Northern Virginia at the time, and I just I um, had wrapped up another different kind of career stint that and gotten divorced. It was just like time for a fresh chapter. Let's move to California. Um, I, I took a job. I was actually landed in Thousand Oaks first and I was doing, uh, design research and strategy for a product design consultancy there. And, um, that was really also fun, really interesting work. Um, great people. I'm sorry. I missed the. Yeah. I think we're having connection cutout issues. Okay. You missed which? Yeah, it seems I am fine right now. on my end. But uh, oh, okay. Yeah, are you, you yeah, hearing so the me? Job okay? in Thousand yeah, I missed a little bit. A um, little bit about doing design job research in and strategy for a product design consultancy, and uh, so somebody would uh, have a uh, have. A, a gizmo or a gadget or something, and they'd want to figure out how to how to engineer yeah, it. Sometimes or, it was packaging. Like uh, packaging. Sometimes it was a dev- like a uh, medical device, shelf placement, um, and stuff like they, that. What, they worked on um, all kinds of different things. Um, we we did consumer packaged good kind of products. Um, we we did um, interfaces for just graphic user interfaces for other devices. So it really industrial design is pretty is um, it's a really all encompassing term and people kind of debate what should fall under it but um, it was basically an industrial design firm so it there was a wide scope of different kinds of projects and I would help sort of pitch both business from a business development perspective help land business for this consultancy firm so we would have to um, just submit responses to RFPs. And that was a big process. And then once we got the contract, we would have to um, project manage it and take it through all the steps that we um, that we had set up for them. So I would I would help project manage, and then I, if there was any aspects of the project that involved research or strategy, I would kind of get involved in those as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
roll up your sleeves and get involved. Any any fun fun yeah, stuff? Yeah, because I, I um, I'll just can, I'll just you well, can tell us about without. Uh, it's not gonna. Yeah, know. I'll just nobody's gonna come, come hunt me down. Yeah, we we did some really cool exploratory work for um, Ziploc. They wanted to kind of yeah they wanted to kind of um, innovate around. Um, Interesting. Certain um, aspect of the food prep, food storage experience, I'll say. So um, they were trying to come up with some unique contraption device thing. Um, it really big sky. It was a big sky project. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of cool. Yeah. So I got a moonshot. Yeah. We had to go. I, we went. Yeah, we went cool. to a bunch of consumers' homes in so Milwaukee. So you just dream, dream up whatever and ask them serious, hard-hitting questions about how they, how they, um, what they did with their leftovers. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it was cool. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yes, so, what, so I, what, I was uh, new. So you probably yes, day trips to Ohio. I came down the kind of background noise. In, probably um, made a few day see, trips. 2011. And that's when I, I, I had quit that job because I just didn't get along with the owner. <laughs> and uh, quit that job. I was just kind of hanging out, trying to figure out I needed to be in business for myself again. Um, I had had a dog walking, pet sitting business back in the day. And that was kind of fun, just really being my own business owner and having some control over my life. Yeah. I just knew that's kind of where I needed to be. So I was, Oh man, it's the best. <sighs> oh my God. Really? Really? I had so There's many bad like bosses bad and they boss just really, really yes, drove me in the, back in the direction fire. of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, thanks be to them. So <laughs> yeah. So I, I was ruminating on what kind of thing I wanted to get into. And I, um, at the time I was enjoying my medical cannabis recommendation and getting deliveries. And I saw a new company pop up and that was Sesame Creek Collective. And I said, wow, let's check them out. And I got a delivery from um, one of the owners and had just great conversation with him. He was really just getting the delivery stuff started. They'd been cultivating for a while. And I said, wow, I'd love to get involved if I can and just, you know, pitch in and start at the bottom and work my way up. And it's kind of what they needed. They just, it was a startup. And I said, great, that's what I want to be involved with. And so I started it up with them. They were um, really cultivation people, but they they had enough sense of what was going on to kind of tell me what needed to be done. And then I knew enough to kind of take it from there and really build the delivery side out and they ended up um, leaving the business um, for different reasons. Um, by 2013, basically, I was running the whole thing by myself with my team, of course. Um, and um, we were based in Ventura. We moved around Ventura, Port Wainimi, Oxnard. We got kicked out a lot um, of, of different places <laughs> for various reasons, mainly smell-related. Um, so... yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, yes, no I know that's a problem we with all these greenhouses that, and that odor. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Some people love you either love it what or you hate that, it. You know. What is it? What is the, <laughs> the skunky smell come from? It's, yeah, it's the terpenes. Yeah, the terpenes yeah. that make up the but smell. Like chemically or molecularly, they're just really strong uh, at certain points in the harvest. 
Now, there it's cannabis. I think yeah, they are. They do have some relations. I can't remember how, um, but they do have some similar plants. Some things in common. Um, Humulene is a is a is a terpene that's found in hops. That's also found in in some cannabis strains. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the that beer taste, I think, because there's some some parallels there. Um, I wonder what uh, you know the now the the banking part. I find interesting because there's federal banking regulations, and yet if the states are legal, it's like seems like it'd be a states' rights issue. But I don't know that yeah. people are making a lot of noise about that. But it seems like there's some workarounds that have been. It's a public health and safety issue. Because to having that much cash around is just, it's. Mm-hmm. it's uh, and it's dirty. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's, it's dirty stressful. in the time of COVID. An- yes. Anxiety inducing. Um, yeah, the banking has yeah, always been a big pain dirty. point for us. Filth, and um, filthy really, worker. the federal guidelines, yeah. um, they're actually, there's, there's clear guidelines for. Banking, cannabis, or MRB, mar- marijuana-related business, but banks more often than not just choose to say, "Well, I don't have the time or interest in complying with those guidelines. It's too much work, too much risk." So they've really just opted out of participating in what I think is a huge um, opportunity for money. I don't know why they haven't, but. Um, so slowly they're getting on board and there are um, some credit unions now that are openly working with cannabis yeah. businesses. So I'm fortunate enough to have a bank account now. Um, it's a credit union and they, they push you through the ringer. They charge you a lot of money and it's not as um, user friendly. You can't, there's not like an app that I can do things with, but it's, it works and that's all I need. So I'm happy with that. Yeah. yeah, we well, whatever workaround I can find, I'm, I'm taking it. Turn around a bunch of cash. Yeah. Well, um, one of the other things that we're learning, you're talking about, mm-hmm. we have lots of data about the safety, but the healing effects, the therapeutic effects. We're ill, are still, I believe, ill understood. And, but we have learned that there's a whole uh, receptor system that goes along with cannabis that we're really just starting to map out, like a whole <clears throat> pathways in the body that, that, you know, they work through this signals. And, uh, you know, there could be a lot of interesting medical research yeah you know i i unfortunately i don't get to kind of stay on top of the hard science um discoveries as much as i would like but there's there's definitely great work coming out all the time um and yeah it is really fascinating and um I, i think that that now that the laws are opening up we will really start to see more in this country um, of the scientific research coming out. Unfortunately, a lot of them, the funding is still kind of geared towards showing the negative effects. That's kind of like they're, they're set up to want to show how it's negative instead of therapeutic. But, um, you know, I think it's just as time goes on, the, the plant's going to speak for itself. And I think other countries are 
Yes. Yeah. And I think other countries are doing really much more advanced work. Oh, the Israel, plant's going to speak for itself. Spain and Canada. Um, so yeah, I think interesting things are happening. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to see. I, I hope big pharma doesn't really totally get its hands on it and ruin it for everybody. I think. Yeah, it's the same, mm-hmm. same uh, moral hazard as uh, like the venture capital firms that chase off, you know, the competitors and innovators yeah. and, you know, dominating the marketplace. That's the same thing that goes on with, with big pharmaceutical companies. They're, they spend, you know, billions of dollars on research and they don't want somebody just no. in their backyard or their their you know home lab coming up with something that's going to you know change uh, their business structure it's just a, a existential threat or could be so it isn't that there's necessarily malice that's the in the big pharma. it's yeah. just that's how you operate when you're the big dog yeah same yeah so i hope that that doesn't happen i'm i'm not a favor of you know, regulation as a whole just makes things too complicated. And where the world changes so fast, we can't stay on top of it. But what do you think would be a way to make sure that all the independent producers and growers and retailers and everything keeps, uh, you know, has a level playing field? If you were to craft a law as for, at, the, at the federal level regulation, what might it look like That's that would ensure question, fairness? Yeah. Yeah, or anywhere. Well, well yeah, I don't need to drop the big one. I feel like, like that, if, if the federal government is going to move on this in the next couple of years, it's probably in their best interest to, to keep keep it in the hands of the states to regulate it. Kind of like the way states regulate the health boards, you know, pharmacy boards and things like that. Yeah. And they've got, and, yeah. and I think, think it's, because they're way, closer to it's their, still such uh, a new industry. Different states have different paradigms yeah. set up. I think it's worth, yeah, yeah. I think it's yes, yes. Oh, you Let mean like a laboratory and see, for and how see things could work? Yeah, top of the best, game. best practices. Who's got it figured out, and then maybe craft a federal policy around that way, if anything. Oh, that's that's a good answer. What about Colorado? It seems like they were very progressive with first getting it legal and then sort of monitoring it and mm-hmm. uh, allowing a lot of retail to flourish and sort itself out. Um, in California, it seems like the municipalities are directing, you know, whether a place can open. And I think mm-hmm. our... Yes, council people and and Ojai for yeah. supporting it. I know there was reservations, but we uh, we we're here. We've done it. Um, yeah. Now we can go back to the talking about that three percent tax because I know it's a sore subject mm-hmm. for a retailer who yeah. doesn't operate on anywhere near the margins that yeah. people assume. It's a hustle out there all the time, especially in the retail side. You don't know when the next customer is going to walk in or whether they even will. And to think that you can 
you know, plotted out to that level. Now, Mm -hmm. you know, the expense side is easy to figure out. The revenue side is really, really hard. And then all of a sudden you got another chunk another bite coming out yeah it's tough because we've so we've really, been giving uh, back you know, I, I mean we've been with you on i've that been measurably me. giving back to ohio since uh, we moved here tough. since we opened up shop here um I, i've made it a point to make um make sure that uh, other organizations nonprofits in the community feel supported and um and i want to continue to do that you know i i uh, i want to it's it's nice to be able to give back i just i think it's um it's it's just a weird mindset to say that oh well these three dispensaries there's they're getting traffic let let them pay for everything you know i just don't get where that mindset comes from in in the 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 development of this ballot measure but i think a lot of it's just like well every other city's doing it every other city's getting theirs this like fear of missing out and my biggest issue is like well fine if you want to be like every other city then you need to remove the restrictions on chain stores and you need to remove the restrictions on me having five licenses Um, because I can't compete with with dispensaries in Port Wainimi and Oxnard and wherever that can be a part of a corporate model even if it's a small one that can take advantage of huge quantities of you know scale opportunities I have to hire one person to do everything, but there's no there's no opportunities to scale up there for me like there are in other cities. And we're also, you know, stuck back in the industrial side of Bryant. Um, it, I, it's not really, yeah, we're kind of treated like second-class citizens, but expected to pay yeah, premium VIP first-class taxes for everybody else's benefit. Are are they where? Yeah, they're all off Channel Islands Boulevard. I'm pretty sure. Just they're all kind of clustered. Yeah, right. They call it the Green Mile. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just right on the main drag. Yeah. Well, or no M1. You're in the C1, as I recall. Although, yeah, I think. uh, Yeah. M1, which gives you a little bit more versatility, but not not that Mm -hmm. much. But uh, it's good to see Bryan Street. Yeah, there's there's area. good things going on. We got Rebel Kombucha right behind yeah, us. We're, we've got a little kombucha radar yes. tap in the kitchen for staff. I put that in. That was a little bonus. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. oh, nice. Lark <laughs> Ellen, I think, is right there. Yeah, yeah. And then there's some distributors and manufacturers, light yeah, manufacturing. All kinds going of good on. stuff. Yeah. Kelly. Yeah, shout out to Kelly at Lark Allen Farms. And uh, <laughs> Naked, not Naked Bars. Goodness, I'm going to blank on the name, so I shouldn't even go there. Oh, I think it is Naked mm. Bars. I think mm. it was developed by a couple of Ohio okay. residents who don't live here yeah, anymore. And but they still have there's, a distribution There's so facility. much still, there's, there's yes, been some empty properties, right. you know, on the, on the so, east end um, of the avenue yeah, for such ahead, a long so. time. And I'm like... I, I wish we could have as a city and maybe a better plan to de- just do something with those or get them, get somebody in there, you know, um, so we can have other ways of dri- driving revenue than taxing us more and more and more. You know, I just, I think there's just better ways. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I'll just mention, I'll just yeah, give you a little teaser, a little project I'm working yeah. on with the build chamber. The um, uh, I'm going to yeah. get out a survey 
research and hopefully get a bunch of people in Ojai to take it um, about why they need to travel, make daily errand kind of trips outside of Ojai. What drives them that they can't get in Ojai? That they got to go, yes, this came up in the, well, it they, they have, it came up in That's the climate mobilization idea. committee meeting, but they Surprising had other priorities. So that, um, that just, I wrote that in my notebook as a project to do and I'm, I'm doing it. So I want to get that out there and then share the results um, so we can, we can find new businesses that need to kind of take shape here. Oh, good for you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Unmet needs survey. Yeah, where the, where are the needs in the marketplace? Um, what, uh, what you know, you well, I are? know there's there's an express interest from farmers market more than one day a week, and I think that would be really great to have just more option for a little open air kind of kind of. Yeah. Well, there was a Thursday farmers market or Wednesday, I forget. Mm-hmm. At, uh, Oh yeah, just on the just on the east east side by like the VFW mm. hall in that parking lot area, mm. and I don't think they got the vendors to get the critical mass of people. I think the farmers markets—they're such a wonderful way to support, you know, local local food systems and distribution. Yeah, and reduce you know a lot of a lot. They solve like five or six problems, but it takes a long time, a long time to get them the habits in people's people's minds that oh yeah it's wednesday let's go true you know sunday, yeah. sunday <laughs> farmer's market it's just become such a ritual and routine in Ohio life that it would be hard i think there were some plans at the school district office which is uh you know there's various proposals floating around for that property which would be a gem in the heart of Ohio to um you know, it's like a boutique hotel and some retail and some other things. But in the back, there's five acres there. No, there's seven acres on that property to have a farmer's market in the back there. And if you've got hotel guests and you've got as many well, you know, the other thing I think there's a there's a then, uh, it might work. It'd be there's a big need for yeah, it. And I I, th- I, I saw somebody. I, I, think that's I can't a great remember idea. who they are, but they're opening up. I want to say in. In the, the playhouse, whoever bought the playhouse was going to turn it into some kind of little market, kind of fresh market place, like f- prepared foods kind of to go. Those kind of things. I think bridging that uh, gap between like, yeah. okay, all these, you know, these prepared food boxes, everyone gets now the meal kits. Um, yeah. So I would, I mean, what about getting the Ojai, the farmers instead of sure. at the farmer's market, get just, okay, compile their stuff at this little distribution center and somebody plans the meals and and divvies it up and puts it in the box yeah, i mean there's the there's next, other services you know, doing yeah. that too but they're kind of spread out throughout the county yeah yes well the uh, community supported agriculture it'd be like you the get, next step you get the meal yeah, kit yeah like, they add in instead of just getting a big box with they, they around, bring you, you pasta from the market ideas too and for stuff what like to that. do yeah. with it the next mm-hmm. the next part of the uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think. I think that sounds great. I do mo- yeah, most well, this, of my own this cooking, is for people so like me. I love to much, cook, but, but I don't have if there time was like to do all the planning step, and the prepping and the shopping. I love to eat. I love to so, eat out. But I want to support my local farmers. So for me, this is, but I don't like the meal kit. They come with all this shopping, packaging and yeah. it's shipped from far away and it's 
spends time in a warehouse. So yes, I think if there was like a local meal kit service, that would be amazing. But I also want to put a plug in for cannabis cafes. Cannabis cafes need to come to Ojai. I think we'd be ripe for that. I think that, yeah. Well, they have um, um, several places in California. Cannabis cafes. Oakland, San Francisco, North Hollywood, um, Coachella, Desert Springs, Palm Springs. They all have cannabis cafes now. And they can just outdoor, you know, some place where people can safely consume and it's ventilated properly because there's actually a lot of people that can't consume if they smoke. They can't consume where they live for whatever reason. Um, so it would just kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. So it'd be a yeah. place, uh, one of those third way places, you know, how you've got home yeah. and you've got work and then you have the coffee shops, the, wherever people gather yeah. at the third way places. Those yeah, are ideas. That would, <laughs> yeah, I'd support that. I think that would be awesome. All right. Well, um, to, to wrap up, um, yeah, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, just one more question. Yeah, like what's uh, been here a while now? What are you most? Oh, grateful there's so for many things. Um, I'm I I love the trees. I love the land. I love the people. I love the opportunity. I mean, the the fact I just go back that we were welcomed here after feeling so persecuted by Ventura County Sheriff's Department, Jeff Kroll, and I both. We um we were finally given the opportunity to be legitimate and have a license. And, and the community has been so supportive of us um, and me specifically. So I, the community support really, what, what, regardless of this tax, you know, yeah. like we can disagree, well, we can agree to disagree, whoever voted for it, whatever. I still, the, the community support here has been amazing and I, I love it here and I hope I can stay here a long time to do good things. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, well, it's, it's good to have you here, Jill. Sounds good, yeah. Thank Take you care, for, Brett. Uh... Just thinking out loud, it's interesting to learn about the details of the cannabis business, which, though, at the end of the day, is very much like any other retail business, intermediating the buying and selling of products. But there are challenges and controversies to this day. It's amazing to me how quickly a culture's attitudes and perceptions can change, though. As late as 2012, President Obama was in favor of civil unions, but not marriage equality. Now there's virtually no resistance to be found. The same with cannabis, as some 36 states have some form of medical marijuana or legalization. The law enforcement community, by and large, though respecting the will of the voters, remains mostly opposed. In fact, there's a story about a tourist leaving Ojai to return home who had consumed a little too much product and was pulled over for going too slow on Highway 33. The officer asked him, how high are you? The guy responded with, no officer, it's high, how are you? Anyway, I concluded my interview with Chelsea at exactly 4.20 p.m. Just a coincidence? Probably, but as they say, it's always 4.20 somewhere. That's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.